1: So, Sarah, you know, everyone's been so focused, including us, on Lamar Jackson, that I don't think enough attention has been paid to the man that will ultimately back up Lamar if he is indeed in Baltimore at the quarterback position in 2023.
2: Yeah, I agree. But it's Jeff Zriebeck from The Athletic who is changing that because he wrote a column Monday that if there was ever a time, if there was ever an offseason to invest in a backup quarterback position here in Baltimore, this off season would be it. And Bobby, after reading that column, I came away with three pretty solid reasons why it might not for sure, but it might be time to move on from Tyler Huntley and upgrade at that backup position.
1: All right, let's dive right into that. Exactly. So what's reason number one?
2: All right. Number one is the fact that Lamar Jackson has missed several crucial games at the end of the last two seasons. And we all know Baltimore has not fared well without him. In fact, Baltimore is 2-8 and in games not started by Lamar over the last two seasons. And knowing that, it doesn't feel like a smart move for the front office to continue putting must-win games in the hands of undrafted players. And that's not all on Tyler Huntley, but he's one of the undrafted guys, and so is Josh Johnson and Anthony Brown. Now, Zebrick wrote, quote, Let's say Lamar is in line to be their starting quarterback in 2023, whether on the franchise tag or via an extension. Would the Ravens really want to tempt fate for a third straight year? The Ravens have to at least consider whether they can comfortably upgrade there with a more established veteran. Jackson's injury and illness issues may just be a two-year blimp, but Baltimore needs to cover itself adequately if not, close quote.
1: You know, I love Snoop and he's been a joy to have in Baltimore on a number of levels. But really, over the last three years, we've seen the win percentage drop considerably when he fills in. And I know that's going to happen with almost any backup in this league, but just staying stagnant and not trying to upgrade, it wouldn't seem like the right move made by the front office. With that said, what's the second reason? All right,
2: number two, a contingency plan is needed in case a long-term deal is not reached with Lamar. Now, at the end of the day, it's possible that neither Lamar nor Baltimore will budge when it comes to their contract demands. And that means that the starting QB may have to play on the tag. And Baltimore's front office has to think through all of what that means. Now, I don't know how Lamar will approach playing on a tag because he's so unique, But it hasn't been uncommon for past tag players to miss all offseason workouts, all of mini camps, and sometimes even training camp. Quote, the Ravens will need a contingency plan in place, says Rebeck. They need to be adequately prepared for week one, whether Jackson is on the field or not. Close quote.
1: Yeah, I don't even want to think about a year with Lamar on the tag. But in all likelihood, it sure seems like based on reports, that's where this thing is headed. And, you know, Sarah, I think the entire fan base is just over the drama, quite frankly, that this contract negotiation has brought. Unfortunately, though, the front office doesn't have the luxury of not thinking through each scenario. And that's including a year being played on the tag. But let's move on to the final reason to move on from Snoop. What do you got?
2: Okay, the third and final is that Huntley is now scheduled to be a restricted free agent. And if the Ravens tender him to protect themselves, his cap hit, Bobby, could more than quadruple. Now, many have joked about Tyler Huntley going to the Pro Bowl as a backup quarterback, and I get it. But there's also no denying that getting that honor as a backup makes him one of the most well-known and popular quarterbacks out there as a backup. And plenty of teams have the cap space to go ahead and pick him up. It's pennies for some of them. So to protect themselves from a team potentially looking to pluck him off their roster, the Ravens may need to put a second round tender on him. Now that way, if somebody signed him to an offer that Eric DeCosta didn't want to match, then EDC would get a second round pick in return for Tyler. And that sounds nice and all. It's great insurance. But using a second-round tender on Huntley means he would cost $4.3 million against the cap. And Huntley has never, ever surpassed more than $1 million price tag in his career. So that is quite a jump for a guy at his position as a backup.
1: Yeah, that's definitely a, a steep price tag for Tyler. But let's say they were to go after like a more established veteran. You'd have to think that would cost even more, no? Well,
2: Bobby, that all depends on which QB you're talking about.
1: Okay, so specifically, who are some of the names out there that you could see being viable?
2: Yeah, okay, well, there's a lot of backup QBs that could be available, but I'll cross off guys on the list like Jimmy Garoppolo because he's going to want to be a starter somewhere. And I'll also cross guys off the list that I don't think personally is an upgrade over Huntley. So that leaves a select group. And here's a group of guys that may fit in with what Baltimore is looking for. Maybe a Baker Mayfield or a Jacoby Brissett, Andy Dalton, or a Teddy Bridgewater. Now, last season, all of those guys were either in the range of what Huntley would cost at that $4 million kind of mark, or they were less except for Teddy Bridgewater. Now, Teddy was about $2 million more. But yeah, lots of these other guys are right in that price range. And Bobby, I actually wouldn't hate seeing Baker being a backup to Lamar at all. Now, two Heisman Trophy winners that have already created a solid relationship And I think Baker could win more games than Tyler if called upon. And probably the most interesting thing from Jeff's article that he wrote about with all of this is what he reported about Baker's relationship with the Ravens. Get this. It says, quote, I wouldn't be too quick to dismiss a potential Ravens-Mayfield pairing. If there's not a decent starting opportunity available to Baker, the Ravens would represent a soft landing spot. It's well-documented that the Ravens liked Mayfield coming out of the draft. He has a good relationship with Jackson, and he's close with tight end Mark Andrews. Ravens decision-makers have always liked and respected Mayfield. When the Ravens faced Mayfield and the Carolina Panthers in 2022, Steve Busciotti jogged to the Panthers' side of the field to hug Mayfield in pregame warm-ups. I'm not sure I've seen that before with a player that hadn't already played for the Ravens and had a previous relationship with the owner. A lot would have to happen for it to become a reality, but it does make some sense on the surface, close quote. All right, Bobby, let's do this. Let's just dive into all things Todd Munkin, beginning with his resume and track record.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So Munkin comes to Baltimore with over 30 years of coaching experience at both the college and nfl levels and sarah having spent his last three years on georgia's staff at the college ranks munkin joins the ravens as a back-to-back national champion play caller under bulldogs head coach kirby smart the 57 year old has had multiple stints as an nfl offensive coordinator most notably from 2016 to 2018 with the tampa bay buccaneers and then 2019 as OC for the Cleveland Browns.
2: Yeah. And what I find most intriguing about his body of work specifically in Tampa is that he turned Jameis Winston and Ryan Fitzpatrick into top 10 NFL pastors while working with them. He is a proven winner and listening to him speak about his offensive philosophy tells you everything you need to know about what's coming to Baltimore.
3: It's interesting when I went to Oklahoma State from, from Jacksonville and it was the air raid, as is, is we use our fingers to say that, but it's really what I took away from it was uh, being able to throw to win. That, that really, to me, was the air raid. You had a certain amount of run game, ran a lot of the same concepts, and you could throw to win. That was really it like any offense it works a lot better if you have good players that's really what it's about it's about having good players and doing things the right way consistently so you do it better than they do it I think balance is multiple skill players touching the football to me it's it's not always just run pass it's do you have enough skill players where they can touch the football last year at Tampa we had almost had six guys if OJ doesn't get hurt of 700 plus yards from line of scrimmage. Well, that, to me, that's balance. You have a number of guys that can hurt you from a matchup standpoint. Is running the football important? Sure, because in order to win, you've got to be explosive and not turn the ball over. How do you become explosive space players and throwing it over their head or throwing intermediate pockets and running the football adds to that? If you said, do I see the college game influence in the NFL? Without a doubt, you see that with probably the, the team you see it most with is Kansas City. Kansas City's run game is... I wouldn't say exclusively, but a, a high number of RPOs or ways to get it out of that young man's hands, and he's good at it. And they've got good skill guys around him. So if you wanted to match up what some college football teams look like, you'd probably say Kansas City. There's some other teams and you could take the Eagles and the Colts where you're talking about RPOs and different ways for run pass options, which has, you know, been prevalent in college, which the rules are a little more advantageous in college in terms of linemen being downfield and blocking downfield, which enables you to do same, a little bit things more in the screen game and throwing on the perimeter. But, you know, a lot of ways you have to be committed to it. You have to look at those plays as one, one play. I think people get caught up in that, – that's why – when I talked about balance, is uh, if you have a run play with an RPO built in it, that's a play. That's not run pass. The efficiency of that play is what matters, not who touched it. And sometimes we get way caught up in run run yards, pass yards. It's, it's efficiency of what you do.
1: Being able to throw in order to win. That is music to Baltimore's ears, Sarah. And obviously that starts and ends with the Ravens front office putting Monk in and hopefully Lamar Jackson in a position to have success personnel-wise but it was certainly refreshing to hear that that philosophy is now set to be a core piece of Baltimore's offensive puzzle under Munken.
2: All right, so for those that don't know, how have wide receivers, specifically wide receivers, we know that he's had success with tight ends too, but how have wide receivers fit into his puzzle over the years?
1: Yeah, so speaking specifically to his time in the NFL, because I think that translates best, Munken has had at least one 1,000-yard wideout in each of his four seasons as an NFL play caller. Mike Evans hit the benchmark in Tampa from 2016 to 2018, and both Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham Jr. were north of that number in 2019 in Cleveland. So, Sarah, this is a guy who gets up for the big games, right? Like, we talked about this in our instant reaction episode. In last month's national championship game against TCU, Munkin was the architect of Georgia's offensive explosion. I mean, explosion isn't even the right word for this. It produced 65 points, 589 yards, 32 first downs and 8.2 yards per play. I mean, it's just not only does he get up for big games, but he also gets up for developing quarterbacks and his track record speaks for itself. The Buccaneers boasted the league's top passing attack in 2018, statistically speaking, and a year later, The then Browns QB Baker Mayfield threw for a career best 3,800 plus yards under center for Cleveland. And Sarah, if that wasn't enough, Munkin then turned his attention to Georgia where the Bulldogs offense erupted over his three years as a play caller. And then we know Stetson Bennett went from walk on to Heisman Trophy finalist. So again, this guy's resume is wide ranging. It's got all kinds of experience top down. And we know that that's something that John Harbaugh commended in his statement, essentially saying that his football acumen, his experience, and ultimately uh, how he feels he can fit into Baltimore uh, is what put him over the edge among, what, 14 candidates, 21 interviews? So it was a heck of a process, and he came out on top. So now that we've got an introduction into who Todd Munkin is as an offensive coordinator and what he may bring to Baltimore, the next question becomes how he could fit with Lamar Jackson. Assuming of course, that number eight is playing for the Ravens, whether on the tag or a contract extension.
2: Okay. So Bobby, how good the fit will actually be obviously remains a question until the season arrives. However, I can tell you based on reports and player reaction, This hire of Munkin was made exactly for Lamar Jackson. Okay, so let's start with CBS reporter Josina Anderson, who, by the way, has been a reliable NFL insider. Now, she dropped some news bombs in terms of Lamar Jackson's input during this process. We already knew John Harbaugh said Lamar would be involved, but Anderson explained how with this tweet. I'm told since the day after the Ravens and Greg Roman parted ways that QB Lamar Jackson's input on the offense from a philosophical and schematic standpoint was folded into the evaluation process for the next OC and communication from key players was welcomed per league sources, close quote. So Bobby, Lamar is probably the greatest running quarterback in the history of the NFL, but that doesn't mean that it's the only thing he can do. He's been on record several times in the past saying he prefers passing over running. So it's very interesting to me that his input on the philosophy and the scheme of the offense was folded into this finding process. Now that tells me while the Ravens will obviously still be a strong running offense, there will be a concerted effort to get Lamar throwing more like he did in college.
1: Yeah, and the other key part of that report is that John Harbaugh didn't only speak with Lamar. Josina wrote that there was communication with multiple key players. You'd have to think that includes names like Mark Andrews, Ronnie Stanley, J.K. Dobbins, who's been extremely outspoken, and even (laughs) Rashad Bateman.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I don't know why he wouldn't include all of them. Uh, And then just one more tweet here from Josina, quote, Todd Munkin is well-respected. My understanding is Munkin had strong interest from Tampa Bay and Georgia was also applying pressure for a decision. A source on Munkin said Munk will have a great plan for the entire offense and Lamar. He'll help take Lamar's skill set to another level. Close quote. Now, for anyone still not buying into the idea that Munkin was hired for Lamar, perhaps former Ravens wide receiver Des Bryant could change your mind. And remember, Des wasn't shy about his criticism for Greg Roman. So at the very least, you can count on him giving his honest opinion. And here's what he had to say via Twitter. Quote, I love this hire. I'll argue Lamar Jackson and Mark Andrews make all pro. I'll also make an argument they'll be playing for a chance to make it to the Super Bowl next year. Todd Munkin wins wherever he goes, close quote. Now then Bobby, a Twitter follower, snarkily replied to Dez, saying that Lamar would make all pro, yeah, if he's with another team but not with Munkin in Baltimore, to which Dez wrote, quote, the Todd Munkin hire was for Lamar Jackson. How can you be a Ravens fan and not know this? Close quote.
1: Sarah, we also know that Dez isn't the only former Ravens offensive player to endorse this hire. Robert Griffin III, who's essentially acted like a personal security guard for Lamar Jackson and the Ravens since uh, he kind of transitioned into – a broadcaster, and ESPN analyst, it seems as if he certainly thinks that this is a perfect marriage.
2: Yeah, I mean, here's exactly what RG3 said on Twitter. Quote, love the Todd Munkin hire for the Ravens offense and Lamar. In those back-to-back national championship seasons of Georgia, Munkin routinely out-schemed the defenses he faced in the passing game. Munkin will help unanimous MVP Lamar take his game to another level. Scary hours close quote. Now, Bobby, I think in the end, while Lamar Jackson probably didn't personally interview candidates or handpick Munkin, it's clear that he communicated what kind of philosophy and scheme he wanted in Baltimore. And according to the very players that had been begging to move on from Greg Roman and open up things for Lamar's arm, Todd Munkin will deliver that type of offense and allow Lamar to do just that. (laughs)
1: Ravens fans waited 27 days to find out who would be the newest offensive coordinator after the team, of course, parted ways with Greg Roman last month. That answer was provided Tuesday when Baltimore announced that two-time college football playoff champion Todd Munkin was the man for the job. But just as soon as that news was broken, another question popped up, and that's this. Why did it take so long for Baltimore to name Munkin?
2: Yeah, well, Bobby, I can tell you this. We won't have to wait 27 days for this answer. Now, I know we've both personally gotten questions on social media about this from fans, and even some of the local Baltimore media had questions, too. And I'll just give you two examples. There was Glenn Clark from Glenn Clark Radio. He tweeted, What I can't shake while I think Todd Munkin is a good hire is that they didn't have to wait this long to hire him. So why did they? What happened? And does it tell us something about Lamar Jackson? I'm not trying to be full tin foil hat, but just wondering, close quote. And then there's Tony Lombardi from Russell Street Report. He tweeted, quote, I like the Ravens hiring of Todd Munkin. Still, I'm curious why the Ravens waited until now to decide, close quote. And then, Bobby, it seems to me that the Athletics' Jeffs Rebeck also had a similar question. It seems that way because he apparently asked it to his sources, and he's the one who actually provided the answer.
1: Of course it's Jeff who got the answer, right? He's one of the few people who can get answers these days on Raven's dealings. But, Sarah, I'm guessing it has something to do with Brian Johnson and or Eric Biennemi, is that correct?
2: Yeah, you are obviously absolutely right. And I think that was always a safe assumption. Why else would John Harbaugh wait until after the Super Bowl to name his OC unless he wanted to talk to coaches from the Super Bowl teams? And according to Jeff, those two, those two guys are exactly who Harbs was targeting to just at least have talks with. Here's Jeff, his quote from his article from The Athletic, quote, Eagles quarterbacks coach Brian Johnson was a name high up on the Ravens list. However, when the Indianapolis Colts hired Eagles offensive coordinator Shane Steichen as their head coach, Johnson essentially became unavailable. He's expected to stay in Philadelphia with an expanded role. The Ravens were also interested in Chiefs offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy. Bieniemy, though, is still weighing his options and was noncommittal about the opportunity. Munkin had already pulled out of the Buccaneers offensive coordinator search and had made clear to Harbaugh that Baltimore was the NFL offensive coordinator job that he was interested in if he was going to leave Georgia. Ultimately, Harbaugh decided not to wait and made the decision to go with Munkin. Close quote from Jeff.
1: Yeah, that all makes sense because as soon as Steichen got the Colts job, we knew Johnson was no longer a viable candidate anywhere outside of Philly. There's just no reason for him to leave a team that just went to the Super Bowl, right? And also, there was another report from Josina Anderson that said Georgia had been pressuring Munkin for a decision. So to me, it sounded like Harbs would have risked potentially losing Munkin had he waited around for Biennemi to make up his mind.
2: Yeah, and Bobby, while we know now that Biennemi is now set to interview for the Washington Commanders offensive coordinator job, it's still unclear whether it'll be offered or if he even wants it. And by the way, side note for those that don't know, Greg Roman has also interviewed for that commander's offensive coordinator job.
1: So, Sarah, just to be clear, was there any candidate who we know did not accept the Baltimore job simply because they didn't want it? Maybe because of the uncertainty, obviously, at quarterback with Lamar's contract?
2: Yeah, Bobby, that's that's a great question. Lots of people have it. And Jeff's report did not indicate that it was because of that. He didn't report anyone else got the offer first. And to be honest, looking at all the candidates that got second interviews, I'm just looking at those guys because they're the more serious ones if they got second interviews. Now, I personally doubt that they were offered the job and turn it down. And here's why. Let's look through them. Zach Robinson, he hasn't gotten a new job anywhere Brian Angelico, he hasn't either. Justin Outen was just named the Titans running back's coach. That's a step down from OC. Only Dave Canales has gotten an offensive coordinator gig, and guess who it's with? It's with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who originally offered that role to Todd Munkin, and then settled on Canalis only after Munkin turned them down to come to Baltimore. So to me, nobody seems to have better options than what they would have had had they gotten the offer in Baltimore, regardless of Lamar's status. All right, Bobby, the Ravens announced two contract extensions on Wednesday, and while neither was the one that this fan base is anticipating, both will definitely add to Baltimore's depth in two specific areas defensively.
1: Yeah, we're talking about defensive end Brent Urban and cornerback Daryl Worley, who were both set to be free agents next month, Sarah. And instead, they both earn one year deals to remain in Baltimore. And as you tweeted, I can't imagine each deal costing more than, I don't know, around a million. So in the football world, right, that's affordable and efficient, especially when bolstering a team's depth.
2: Yeah, so take us through each signing and what it means for the Ravens' interior defensive line and then also that secondary.
1: So in Brent Urban, first and foremost, you're keeping around a 31-year-old veteran who's in his second stint with the organization here in Baltimore, right? Having been drafted out of Virginia back in 2014. In 2022, last season, Urban played 29% of the Ravens' defensive snaps, finishing with 21 tackles in 16 games played. Of course, as Calais Campbell's primary backup and Sarah we know this urban 6'7 pound frame it's always going to be disruptive as for Daryl Worley the 27 year old played in just eight games in 2022 due to a hamstring setback and as a result he bounced back and forth between the 53 man roster and practice squad for much of the year now He saved his best for last. He finished with five tackles and two pass breakups in Baltimore's regular season finale against Cincinnati. And Worley flashed his physicality, laying the wood down several times, if you can remember. And he went head-to-head with Bengals star playmaker Jamar Chase. So, again, this is a depth ad. Don't get me wrong. But that feels like a necessity every single year when it comes to Baltimore's secondary.
0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
2: All right, Bobby, Jonathan Jones, the NFL insider for CBS, made quite an impression on Ravens Nation over the summer during an awkward... very awkward interview with Lamar Jackson. And based on his recent Twitter reporting, apparently he's not done.
1: No, he isn't. And before we get into the weeds, let's revisit that cringeworthy training camp interview because it was painful, and I apologize in advance for playing it. Here it is, though.
0: seems like every time I see you, you're getting a little bigger, getting a little, a little yeah. thicker, a little muscular. Yeah. I hear that you don't like working out, though. Tell me about that. Who said that? Uh, sources. What
3: sources? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I do know about that. I had to do something
3: to get this size, you know?
1: That's true. That's, That's true. true. Everything about that snippet is horrific. And kudos to Lamar, honestly, for actually having the patience and composure to stick with the conversation. I think a lot of guys would have just walked off the set immediately and deservingly so. And I
2: mean, I don't want to pile on Jonathan Jones, which is exactly why I loved how Lamar, you know, immediately asked for his sources and it clearly caught him off guard. And then Lamar kind of let him off the hook. So, uh, yeah, it didn't seem like he really had many sources to speak of or maybe he just wouldn't reveal him. But it definitely caught him off guard. OK, so going from that, Bobby, let's transition to Thursday. Let's let everybody in on what Jonathan Jones tweeted that sparked so much chatter.
1: Yeah, I'll read it to you verbatim. Quote, per sources, it's my understanding that the Ravens did not fully integrate QB Lamar Jackson into the hiring process for their new offensive coordinator, close quote. But Sarah, here's the problem for Jonathan. The ever-reliable Ravens beat reporter Jeff Zarebek, who we've obviously called on often in recent months, was asked in his mentions, in Jonathan's mentions, if there's any truth to the report. Jeff's response was this, quote, my understanding was he was given multiple opportunities to provide input and be involved, close quote. Yeah, which
2: just came across as confusing to some people just because Jeff's reply did leave, I guess, some room for interpretation. But, Bobby, it's pretty clear that the door was open for Lamar to be involved. Now, this full stuff, I don't, I don't know about all of that. And there's a couple of pieces of context we can lean into from the last month of following Baltimore's coordinator search that helps illuminate this whole situation.
1: Yeah, and the first is this from John Harbaugh's end-of-season press conference when he was asked if he plans on involving Lamar in the process.
4: I did ask Lamar about it, you know, and, and he will be involved in it. You know, I'll keep him abreast of what's going on, and I'm sure he'll have some input along the way. Uh, but I know his focus, like he told me, is going to be on getting himself ready and getting his guys ready, you know, for next season.
1: And the second piece of context is something we shared with you actually earlier in the week, NFL reporter Josina Anderson's tweet that read the following, quote, I'm told since the day after the Ravens at Greg Roman parted ways, Lamar Jackson's input on the offense from a philosophical and schematic standpoint was folded into the evaluation process for the next offensive coordinator and communication from key players was welcomed per league source, close quote. But Sarah, having now presented all of that context, I feel like it's important to note this. Why would the Ravens, quote, fully integrate Lamar into the process (laughs) when he technically, right, technically speaking, isn't even under contract for 2023.
2: Yeah, Bobby, we made this same point in, I think it was yesterday's vault. All the days are melting together, but this feels so eerily similar to what we discussed in response to Jordan Schultz's report that claimed that offensive coordinator candidates who interviewed with the Ravens weren't given, quote, full assurances that Lamar will be in Baltimore next season. So, Yeah, of course. Is a source needed to break the news that a team didn't offer full assurances that a player will be back when he isn't even under contract? Obviously not. So I don't know where these, where are these coming from? These sources, are they going to these same two guys and putting the word fully integrated, full assurances? It seems a little weird and similar.
1: It really is all under the same umbrella. And that umbrella is made of fluff, I might add. But Their objective is to target the average fans who haven't been immersed in the coverage of this contract negotiation. And that's all well and good because it's our job to provide the necessary context so that old news isn't successfully recycled as new news, just with a different flavor.
2: And yeah, not just old news. How about just common sense observations that are presented as reports just by slapping sources on it? And Bobby, one more thing before we jump to topic two and surprise... It comes from Jeff's Zrebeck and his Twitter replies. Now, Jeff was going back and forth with fans, and one exchange was him responding to a fan who asked if the Ravens are waiting for contract extensions with Jalen Hurts, Joe Burrow, and Justin Herbert, waiting for those to get done before tackling Lamar's. And Jeff's response was the following, quote, I don't think they are waiting on that. The holdup is they simply haven't been able to bridge the gap between what he wants and what they're willing to pay, close quote.
1: To which another fan responded by saying this, quote, We're becoming a terrible franchise. It's sad to say. We're the only team that disrespects our superstar quarterback. Shaking my head, close quote. Now, Sarah, Jeff then took it a step further. He responded to that with this, quote, They've been more than willing to make him the second or third highest paid player in the NFL and give him the most up front. He's entitled to say no, but we're going to have to agree to disagree about that being disrespectful. Close quote.
2: Yeah, and I know it may seem monotonous to share these exchanges and all the details of it, but it really is informative, I feel like. And I think it helps in an effort not to demonize either the ravens or lamar for sticking by their contract convictions i'm i've said this before i'm not telling either side what to do with their wallet and just for clarity's sake bobby and i know you followed up with jeff on thursday about this what about what he meant about the ravens offering the most upfront money and that basically just means it's the most upfront money over a 3 year span obviously it isn't the most fully guaranteed from the day of signing
1: So questions have been pouring in via social media and also through our podcast's email inbox about a possible trade for Ravens linebacker Patrick Queen. Here's one of those email submissions from vault listener Jacob Bauer. Quote, Hey Sarah and Bobby, love the show. Do you think that EDC has informed PQ that he could be traded? We all know the Ravens love the draft and don't have a second round pick this year. Could the front office be moving Queen for, say, a second-round pick with the new team taking on his cap hit? Sarah, before we get to that question, though, why don't we rewind and address why these specific questions about PQ have come up in the first place this week?
2: Yeah, sure. So fans began to notice on Wednesday that Queen scrubbed most of his posts on Instagram. There's only three posts remaining, at least the last time I looked, and none of them feature the Ravens. Now, that said, it's important to point out that his profile picture is still features him wearing a Raven shirt, so I'm personally not going to overanalyze his IG account. And then there are many fans that follow PQ on Instagram, and they said that he made these changes a month ago. I can't confirm that because I don't follow him on IG, but that is what some are saying, that they changed more about a month ago.
1: And you know what? As we've learned with Lamar, you can't read too much into social media posts. But with that said... It's totally understandable where some fans are coming from in interpreting this to mean he wants to trade or will be traded. We know that Marquise Brown scrubbed his social media and was traded last year. Before that, Orlando Brown famously tweeted he's a left tackle before being traded. Plus, Texans cornerback and PQ's former LSU teammate Derek Stingley Jr., tweeted those emoji eyes at PQ, then PQ replies with his own eyes and the shrug emojis, right? So to some, it did appear that they were flirting with the idea of him joining his former teammate in Houston. But other than that flirtation, there's really no merit to it.
2: Yeah. And after that, people started begging Queen not to leave. And then he tweeted around this time, Bruh, relax with a laughing emoji. So fans can weave narratives into anything and media can too with vague social media posts. But here's the reality. Yes, Bobby, Patrick Queen's future in Baltimore is definitely in doubt. But I don't come to that conclusion because of his Instagram. I came to that conclusion back when Eric DaCosta traded for Roquan Smith. And then it was solidified even more when EDC extended Roquan. And then the final solidification was when Eric was asked at the end of season presser, if he would exercise the fifth-year option on PQ's rookie contract, and here's what he said then:
4: "Yeah, we were really excited by the way Patrick played this year. Um, we think he made a jump. He showed uh, playmaking ability, uh, leadership. He just he really, really over the course of the season became the player that we kind of envisioned him being. Um, specifically speaking to the the fifth-year option, um, you know, I'm probably not prepared to make that announcement at this point." Um, Does it make it difficult uh, to sign him long-term? If he's a great player, we'll find a way to make it work. If he's playing at a high level, we want to keep as many good players as we can. So I would never rule out right now uh, signing a player two years from now, uh, potentially. He's a good player. I think we've got the best two young inside linebackers. The combo, the tandem, it's exciting in football. And uh, they make our defense a problem for other teams and something that is going to cause a lot of teams problems, you know, moving forward. So, you know, I think we're in a great position there. I think
1: our defense is, is exciting and uh, we can't wait to see him next year. All right. So it's not a leap to think that Queen's stay in Baltimore won't last much longer. Now, that does bring us back to Jacob's question from the 10 of this segment when he asked do you think that edc has informed pq that he could be traded sarah
2: yeah no absolutely not okay now that doesn't mean that patrick won't be traded but that would be the dumbest move by a gm to broadcast that info without having a deal in hand if you don't have a trade in your pocket ready to go then you don't approach a player and tell him that you're shopping him around unless he's actually asked for a trade. I mean, because otherwise if that was just Eric coming up with that on his own without PQ asking for it, I mean, what happens if he goes out to the market needs to find a trade partner can't. And then queen knows that the Ravens don't really want him around. So, like I said, that would just be a terrible business management. If Eric had informed him of anything, then the deal, you know, Patrick would be gone by now. So, That's from the organization side of it. Then you got to look at it from Patrick's side of it. I could hear fans asking, well, is it possible that Patrick Queen requested a trade? And thus all the social media scrubbing, even though, as I said, his profile picture still features a Raven shirt. Okay, so it's possible that Patrick requested a trade, but I got to say, it wouldn't make sense from my point of view for Patrick Queen to request a trade. Seriously, why would he do that? At least in Orlando Brown's case, he made it be known that he wanted to be a left tackle and he was stuck behind Ronnie Stanley before he got hurt. So that's why he wanted out. And then in Marquise Brown's case, he was stuck in a run-first offensive system. And he wanted some time to showcase to the rest of the NFL world his ability as a receiver in a different offense before his rookie contract was up so that he could make more money with the second contract. And even... I could bring up Hayden Hurst. He was stuck behind Mark Andrews. In Patrick Queen's case, he's still going to start all 17 games right next to Roquan. He's not going to lose an ounce of playing time as long as he's healthy. And with one more year left on Patrick Queen's contract, you tell me, where is the best spot to show to the other 31 teams that he'll be worth top-of-the-market money by the time he's a free agent next offseason? In a place like Houston, where they just went 3-13 and and was ranked number 32 in defense last year? Or how about another year next to Roquan, where Queen looked like a pro bowler? If I'm Queen, I want to stay in Baltimore hands down, no question. That's how I'm going to put my film on display to say I'm the next highest paid inside linebacker. Okay, so now again, I just want to be clear. I'm not saying absolutely Queen won't be traded. Cause like, because if Lamar Jackson actually plays on the franchise tag, Eric DaCosta could actually be forced to find cap space in every place possible. And that could be with Queen. But even then, he wouldn't broadcast it to Queen unless he had a deal in hand. And... I'll just say this. If that pressure with the franchise tag is somehow alleviated, if I'm the GM, I'm personally keeping Queen, who's only costing $3.8 million against the cap next season, because that PQ and Roquan duo at that price is just too good to pass up. <laughs>